Frank Muir goes into teaching and investigates the humor of the subject with the help of Alfred Marx. A little boy was very busy in the woodwork class and his teacher asked him what he was making. Well, sir, he said it's a portable, sir. A portable what? said the teacher. I don't know yet. I've only made the handle. <laughs> you know, education's really a daft process because you spend the first two years teaching your kids how to walk and talk and the rest of your life tend to sit down and shut up. <laughs> now, can anyone tell me the meaning of the word crematorium? Yes, sir. It's French for dairy. <laughs> Now then, when boys and girls do naughty things, do you know where they go? Please, sir, yes, sir, please, sir. Behind a bicycle shed, sir. <laughs> One day, a little boy took an apple for his teacher and she gave him a kiss. And the next day, he took a watermelon. <laughs> After his first day at secondary school, a boy came home and his mother was shocked to hear him use a four-letter word. When she complained, the boy said, Oh, that's all right, Mum, she Chaucer used it. Well, said his mother, you're not to play with him again. <laughs> please, miss, please, please, miss, please, miss, can I have a cigarette? Cigarette? Certainly not. Do you want to get me into trouble? You're all right, but I'd rather have a cigarette. <laughs> the teacher said, look, I'll give this nice, bright, shiny apple to anyone who can tell me who was the greatest man in the world. Little Benny Cohen's hand was up first. Please, miss, it was Jesus. She just said, yes, you're absolutely right. And as she gave him the apple, she said, I... Always thought you were Jewish. He said, yes, of course I am. He said, but look, you know and I know that the greatest man in the world was really Moses, but business is business. Is it? <laughs> man, father came home to find his wife very distressed, his little boy crying, and he said to his wife, what's the matter? He said, well, it was school this morning, wasn't it? He was in the class, and the teacher said, who wrote Hamlet? And our little jaw stood up and said, well, it wasn't me. And the teacher hit him. <laughs> so I went back there, and I called the teacher, and in front of the class said, listen, if my boy said he didn't do it, he didn't do it. Father well, said, is that what you said? You are ignorant. I mean, you must have had them all laughing at you. You shouldn't have said that. What you should have said was, all right, he did it, but he won't do it again. <laughs> In this series of ten programmes, we'll be going into education, starting with the staff and places of learning, and then moving on to the subjects of the school curriculum. It's often been said that our school days are the happiest days of our life. But I suppose that really depends on what sort of school you go to. There were tough kids in my class. There was a kid in my class named Floyd. The black leather jacket, and the boots, and zipper, and acne and everything. <laughs> Floyd used to sit in the dumb row in school. <laughs> Vegetable mentality. <laughs> I made friends with him years later when we got older. I removed a thorn from his paw. You know? <laughs> Once I was on my way for my violin lesson when I was a kid. I was one of those kids who took. <laughs> and I'm walking past the pool room, and Floyd and all his friends are out. You know, they're swiping hubcaps in Brooklyn from moving cars, which is really <laughs> amazing. And I walk past, and he yells out to me, Hey, Red. I was a cocky kid. Put down my violin. I go up to him. I said, my name is not Red. If you want me, call me by my regular name. It's Master Haywood 
spent that winter in a wheelchair. <laughs> a team of doctors labored to remove a violin. <laughs> Lucky it wasn't a cello. <laughs> Woody Allen. Now, teaching is a profession which has always had a bad press. I think the reason may be that everyone's been taught at some time in their lives and never quite recovers from the experience. The adult freedom to be abusive about teachers without being put in detention for it has an intoxicating attraction. Mind you, the task of the educator is a thankless one. In the words of Owen Edmund, Education is the process of casting false pearls before real swine. <laughs> and the contribution of the teacher isn't always properly valued in later life. Professor B.F. Skinner. Education is what survives and what has been learnt has been forgotten. Whatever the precise reason for it is, teachers have rarely managed to command the respect from adults that they demand from their pupils, going right back to Seneca in the first century A.D. It is when the gods hate a man with uncommon abhorrence that they drive him into the profession of a schoolmaster. Or this Latin proverb in English, which Erasmus quoted. He is either dead or teaching school. <laughs> well, that, that view of the profession hasn't changed much over the centuries. A famous remark from George Bernard Shaw. He who can does, he who cannot teaches. <laughs> the qualifications for the job aren't always as exacting as they should be. Here's the view of a character from Evelyn Waugh's Decline and Fall. I expect you'll be becoming a schoolmaster, sir. That's what most of the gentlemen does, sir, to get sent down for indecent exposure. <laughs> Under this welter of abuse, one cannot but feel sympathy for the poor teacher. Traditionally attacked, traditionally misunderstood, and hard up. The money has always been bad. Dominic Vian. Then one day they opened a Catholic chapel, which was quickly followed by a pub a block of shops, and eventually a school. The school went up last because there was no profit in it. <laughs> Sometimes there seems to be little profit in teaching. No wonder schoolmasters attempted to make a little extra on the side. Over now to Chiselbury School. If you don't keep your perishing nuts still, I'll have your ears off. Bring it hurt, sir. Out, out. Yes, it looks as though I'll either have to get these clippers sharpened or work with an anaesthetist. Never mind, I'll do for now. Sit tight. Now, just a squirt of jibble number five to bring out the highlights. There we are. All right, young Crombie, that's your lot. Thank you, sir. Wait a minute. I have to do the holding up the mirror from behind bit. There we are, sir. How's that? Oh, crumbs. I'm sorry I can't help the crumbs. <laughs> I haven't got a proper barber's sheet. I'm having to use the breakfast cloth. Not my fault they're all such messy eaters, I don't know. Now let's see, that's a haircut, friction rub, scalp treatment, four and six altogether. Just pay Mr. Potter over here at the cash, will you? Take four and six, please, Mr. Teasewee's here. Yes, headmaster. I'll get the next one. <laughs> I'll get the next one set up. Here you are, Mr. Potter. Thank you, Crombie. Here's your change. Thank you, sir. Sir, why can't we have a haircut at the village barbershop like we always have? Well, it's, it's a new idea of the headmaster's. He thinks it's, well, more convenient for him to do it. Of course it is. Much more convenient all round. But it's so expensive, sir. This is the third haircut you've made me have this week. Well, you want to be well-groomed, don't you? <laughs> you want to be well-groomed? You don't want to grow up looking like Frankie Howard? No, sir, but... No buts. I've got you booked for a trim up the day after tomorrow. <laughs> By the 
way, is this time you started shaving? I'm only 12, sir. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, then. Just the trim, then. Yes, sir. Can I go now? Go? Hey, you've, uh, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Oh, yes, sir. Here you are. For me? Oh, that is kind of you, sir. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Good day, sir. Thank you. That's Jimmy Edwards and company from the old wacko. Teachers are traditionally so badly paid that surely they can be forgiven for devising little money-making schemes of their own. Here's a rather ingenious one described in the Daily Telegraph. With the approval of the headmaster, Mr. C.S. Walton, boys of University College School Hampstead started hymn pools on the lines of a football pool. Winners had to forecast hymns that would be chosen for morning prayers on ten successive mornings. <laughs> <laughs> what are teachers really like? Let's have a few more opinions on the subject. First, from the Marquis of Halifax. The vanity of teaching does oft tempt a man to forget that he is a blockhead. <laughs> and Oscar Wilde. Everybody who is incapable of learning has taken to teaching. <laughs> now let's hear a more balanced view, an 18th century description of a teacher from Oliver Goldsmith's The Deserted Village. The village master taught his little school, a man severe he was and stern to view, I knew him well, and every truant knew. Well had the boding tremblers learned to trace the day's disasters in his morning face. Full well they laughed with counterfeited glee at all his jokes, for many a joke had he. Full well the busy whisper circling round conveyed the dismal tidings when he frowned. Yet he was kind, or if severe in aught, the love he bore to learning was in fault. Where do schools get teachers from? I suppose, like anyone else who wants something unusual, they advertise. Let's hear some ads for teachers. First one from a local newspaper. School headmaster requires mistress willing to undertake extracurricular activities. <laughs> from a daily newspaper. There are vacancies in the Falkland Islands Education Department for two camp teachers uncertified. <laughs> and finally, from the magazine Education. Orpington, boys, master, general subjects, interest in retarded boys, and or beekeeping. <laughs> that little list will have shown the demands which are placed on school teachers vary considerably. It really depends on the sort of school in which they end up. Now, some authorities, like G.K. Chesterton, feel that individual schools don't differ much. All our schools are finishing schools. They finish what has never been begun. <laughs> but others, like Mr. Levy of Church and Gargoyle, scholastic agents in Evelyn War's Decline and Fall, find greater variety. We class schools, you see, into four grades. Leading school, a first-rate school, good school, and school. <laughs> I think Will Hayes' famous educational establishment, St. Michael's, must have come under the heading of school. Uh, we'll take scripture. Oh, yes, that reminds me. The other day you were telling us about Nor. Telling you about what? Nor. Nor, yes. Nor what? Nor nothing. No, no, no. I couldn't tell you about Nor nothing. I must tell you about Nor something, no? No, just Nor. Just Nor? Yeah. Oh, but not what the mice do. Not what? Not what the mice do. Not what the mice do? No. Well, what have the mice got to do with it? Nothing. Well, why mention them if they've got nothing to do with it? I've got to. Oh, you've got to? Yes. I see. I've got three. Huh? I've got three. Three what? Marsh. No, no, no. You've got the rats. That's what's the matter with you. Listen, you say, the teacher was telling you about Nor, rather I was. Uh, not what the mice do. They've got nothing to do with it. You've got two and he's got three. Now, where are we? Listen, we'll get this down on paper and then we can, we can sort it out. You take it down, Harbottle. The teacher? The teacher? Was telling? Was telling? Us? Ash? About Nor. About Nor. 
About what? About Nor. Well, why don't you put Nor? Who's Nor? No, how do you spell Nor? N-O-R. No, 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 no. K-N-O-R. K, the K is silent, you see? As in uh, soup, yes? But not... <laughs> but not... What? What? The mice do. No, mice do, yes? Got that? Yes. Comma? Well, you know what the mice do? No. They gnaw. Who? The mice. Yes, I know. Well, tell him. He's taking it down, I'm not. The mice gnaw. Yes. Well, put it down. Put it down. The mice gnaw. Yes. Semicolon. Which fire? What? Which fire? What do you mean, which fire? You said put some coal on? No, no. <laughs> put a semicolon. Put some coal on. It's, <laughs> it's a gas fire, too, but he doesn't know. Go on, semicolon. How do you spell it? Spell it? Yes. You don't spell it. You splash it. And what semicolons are? No. Well, they're commas with knobs on. Well, we've got that. Come on. Well, not that, nor, but nor. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I, I don't know who you're talking about. Nor, the fellow who built the ark. Built the ark? Yes. You mean Noah? That's right. Is that who you mean? Yes. Well, why did you say Noah? I did. No, no, no. You said nor. Uh, a different family altogether. Cross all that out, Harbottle. Well, what about Noah? Well, who was his wife? Who was whose wife? Noah's wife. Who was Noah's wife? Yes. Uh, you want me to tell you? Yes, please. Yes. Well, um, I think we'll go out to play now, shall we? Now we must find who is Noah's wife. Well, Noah's wife was uh, Mrs. Uh... I know. What? I know Noah's wife. You do? Yes. Well, you ought to. You were in the ark with them, weren't you? No. Well, you tell us who she was. Noah's wife? Yes. Joan of Arc. Oh. <laughs> the, the surface hiss would have told you that's a very, very old piece of comedy indeed from Will Hay. Anybody remember the name of the, of the fat boy? Well done, Graham Moffat, and the old man, Maul Marriott. Maul Marriott. Well, now, regardless of what sort of school a teacher ends up in, he's going to face problems with his pupils. There may be the occasional enthusiastic swat who's actually keen on work, but apathy is very common among school children. An observation from Seller and Yeatman, the authors of 1066 and all that. For every person wishing to teach, there are 30 not wishing to be taught. <laughs> well, that problem remains in every class, be it of boys or girls. The education of girls used to differ considerably from that of boys, but now the two are increasingly similar. Not everyone approves of the trend. Here are a couple of remarks guaranteed to make the blood of feminists boil. First from Lafayette Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology. A society in which women have taught anything but the management of a family, the care of men, and the creation of the future generation is a society which is on its way out. And another from Adolf Hitler. The highly intelligent men should take a primitive woman. Imagine if on top of everything else I had a woman who interfered with my work. That would be quite a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> Even now, though, girls' schools do concentrate more than boys on various aspects of home craft and domestic science to the benefit of all concerned. Here's an extract from a charity report. The girls of the school have assisted in the preparation of three hampers for needy pensioners, making the cakes, curd, mince meat, sweets, etc. themselves. The six recipients died during the year. <laughs> a problem encountered by staff in girls' schools is that of the infatuation of their pupils. It's what used to be called a pash or, or crush. No doubt nowadays there's a new word for it, but I'm sure it still takes exactly the same form. Miss Sweeney, Mama, her name is Miss Sweeney. She said we could sit wherever we want. I sat right up front and she smiled at me. Mama, she looks just like a movie star. 
Miss Sweeney did look like a movie star. She looked like Loretta Young. <laughs> and she wore cashmere sweaters to school. Each one monogrammed with a little M, big S, little A. I'd sit at that first desk in row three for hours trying to figure out that monogram. I knew the big S stood for Sweeney, and I just had to know what her first name was, little M, little A. And one day when I should have been coloring Lake Michigan blue, I peeped up and I saw Miss Sweeney reach inside her cashmere sweater. My heart stopped. As I watched the shape of her hand move slowly under little M, big S, little A. I didn't have breasts yet. I was only seven. But I knew that when I did, I would feel about mine exactly the way Miss Sweeney felt about her. That day, I walked her to her car for the first time. What is it that you wanted to ask me, Lily? Is your first name Margaret Ann? Oh. How did you guess? It was just a hunch. Could I call you Margaret Ann? Well, I think you'd better call me Miss Sweeney. Yeah, okay. Well, at least in front of the other children. See you tomorrow, Margaret. In my mind, we were friends. True, she was taller. <laughs> Almost three feet. But they didn't let kids wear high heels to school in those days. In class, if I'd speak out of turn, she'd understand. She'd say, hold your horses, Lily. And then she'd laugh. Oh! I could always make her laugh when I wanted to, and I almost always wanted to. Some days, if she was tired after school, I'd understand. It wasn't easy teaching 30 kids how to read and write. I didn't think of myself as teacher's pet. It's just that I had nothing in common with a bunch of illiterate seven-year-olds. That was Lily Tomlin. Within any school, the head teacher is in absolute command. In the words of Winston Churchill, Headmasters have powers at their disposal with which prime ministers have never yet been invested. <laughs> the job of a headmaster nowadays is not made easier by the increasing amount of violence among young people. Still, a strong disciplinarian can enforce his will by the strength of his personality. Here's a report from the Daily Express. Two hours after a headmaster gave his 700 pupils a lecture on vandalism, his school in Tottenham was burnt to the ground. <laughs> But if all other deterrents fail, a headmaster can sometimes resort to the ultimate, corporal punishment. Though this can be relied on too heavily, J.E. Morpurgo. Teachers regard tails as more important than heads for the inculcation of knowledge. Even without the threat of corporal punishment, the first encounter for a young pupil with his headmaster can be pretty grueling. Come in. <laughs> Dr. Kanger, sir? Yes, boy, what is it? I'm the new boy, sir. Hancock. Now, come in, boy, come in. Welcome to Greystone. So you're going to like it here. Eh, what? Eh, eh? <laughs> oh, yes, sir. Well, how do you know, you young idiot? You've only just got here. <laughs> come out and get the cane. You are a lucky and privileged boy to be coming here to Greystones. What are you? A lucky and privileged boy. That's it. Speak up. Greystones is the oldest public school in the country. What is it? 
The oldest public school in the country, sir. That's it. Speak up. Grace Jones has great traditions that you must live up to. What must you do? I must live up to it, sir. That's it. Speak up. If you don't live up to them, you want the cane. What do you want? The cane, sir. A pleasure. Bend over. Ah! Tony Hancock and Kenneth Williams. Well, discipline has to start at the lowest level of school, but there's always a danger that it can get out of hand. Fortunately, there are bodies set up to ensure that that happens as rarely as possible. Report from the Times Educational Supplement. Surrey's county education officer is to look into parents' allegations that an infant school headmaster assaulted a boy with his artificial leg for turning the wrong way in a maypole dance. <laughs> Mind you, a lot of parents are very glad of school because it does at least keep children occupied. John Updike. The founding fathers, in their wisdom, decided that children were an unnatural strain on parents, so they provided jails called schools equipped with tortures called education. A lot of parents might agree with that phrase, unnatural strain. Small children can be very wearing. A Freudian misprint from an Ohio newspaper. It was announced at this time that the final practice for the children's Christmas program will be held on Saturday afternoon between 2 and 3 o'clock. The school is a very satisfactory way of moderating that hell, but there are dangers. Some teachers are very dominant personalities, and some parents might not approve of their influence. Here's a thought from a character of Ruth Draper's. Sometimes I think I'll not send him to school, but just let his individuality develop. But very few small children have many inhibitions about letting their individuality develop inside school which only goes to increase one's respect for the teachers who manage to cope with them. Children, pay attention, everybody. Free time is over, and now we're all going to tell our lovely story. So come along and settle down on the floor all round me. And we've got a visitor today so we can tell our nice story to her. Will you be all right there, Mrs. Binton? You get a good view, I think. This group storytelling is quite a feature of our work here in the nursery school. We like to feel that each little individual has a contribution to make to the world of make-believe. Yes, come along, everybody, sit down. And, of course, valuable lessons can be learnt from teamwork. We had a very happy band of brothers here. Edgar, let go of Timmy's ear and settle down. Now, then, let's have some nice straight backs, shall we? Sydney, come out from under the table, dear, and help me tell our story. Don't you want to come and help me? Well, say, no, thank you, Sydney. All right, you can stay there, but stop machine-gunning everybody. Now, then, what are we going to tell our story about? Don't push, now sit still. What are we going to tell our story about today? Rachel, take your shoe off your head and put it on your foot. <laughs> Shall we tell it about a little mouse or a big red bus? All right, Peggy, we'll tell our story about a dear little bunny rabbit. No, he wasn't a cowboy, Bunny Sidney, and he didn't have a gun. Now, why don't you come out and help? All right, you stay there, but I don't want to speak again. Stop machine-gunning us all. Crazy <laughs> is one of our little individualists. Um, he does have personality problems of um, aggression, but we feel that when his energies are canalized in the right direction, he's going to be a very worthwhile person. That's what we all hope. Now then, once upon a time there was a dear little bunny rabbit. And where did he live? No, he didn't live in a tree. No, not in an apartment building. Now think, everybody. He lived in a hole. And he lived there with his money bunny rabbit and his 
Teddy Bunny Rabbit, yes, and all his little brother and sister Bunny Rabbit. Oh, that was nice. No, Sidney, he wasn't a burglar, Bunny Rabbit. No, nor was his daddy. Well, he's just an ordinary businessman, Bunny Rabbit. <laughs> David, David, don't wander away like that. Yes, I know the window is over there, but you don't want to look out of it. No, our story's getting awfully exciting. Now, you come back and you sit next to Edgar there. Edgar, don't pull your sweater down over your knees like that. You'll get it all out of shape. No, Lavinia, don't copy him. Never. Look, children, I don't want anybody to pull their sweaters down over their knees. Now then. George! Don't do that. <laughs> you tell us, what was our bunny rabbit's name? <laughs> yes, I know his name was Bunny Rabbit, but what did his mummy call him? Well, I don't think Piggy Bunny is a very good name for a bunny rabbit. Well, because, you see, a piggy is a piggy, and a bunny is a bunny. So we can't have a piggy bunny, can we? No, nor a pussy bunny, nor a doggy bunny, nor an elephant bunny. Now, let's be sensible, please, everybody. No, Sidney, I don't think silly old fat man is a funny name for a bunny rabbit. No, it's not. No, it's not as funny as all that. Now, stop rolling about on the floor. Tim, Tim, what have you got in your hand? But we haven't had toast and jelly for two days. <laughs> Tim, where did you get it? In your pocket. Now, look, don't touch anything. Now, go out of the room, throw it in the waste paper basket, and then wash your hands. Caroline, open the door for him. Now, don't touch anything. Promise you won't. Dear, hurry up now, because we're going to need you. Come back soon. Now, Hazel, dear, what would you like our bunny rabbit to be called? Violet. Yes, well, I think it is a lovely name, but I don't think it's a very good name for a boy, Bunny Rabbit. No, I think he'll call him Bobby Bunny Rabbit. Well, because that's his name. Well, because I happen to know. Look, we're not going to discuss it anymore. <laughs> Susan, stop kissing Neville, because he doesn't like it. Yes, I know you like it, but he doesn't like it. I don't know why he doesn't like it. No, you can't go under the table and kiss Sidney, because he doesn't like it. Well, you didn't like it yesterday, Sidney. You must learn to make up your mind, mustn't you? George! Don't do that. <laughs> now then, Lavinia, dear, you tell us, what was our bunny rabbit doing? He was riding on a horse, was he? Oh, what a funny thing for a bunny rabbit to do. I expect he was going gallopy, gallopy, wasn't he? Oh, good, Sydney, I thought you'd like to come and help me. Now, you come and help me. No, Sydney, you cannot go gallopy, gallopy. Sydney, you cannot go gallopy, gallopy like that. Children, never. Come back, everybody. You cannot go... You see what I mean about personality problems? Do you know, sometimes I don't think love is enough with children. <laughs> Superb Joyce Grenfell. And that pretty well concludes our look at teaching. Just a couple of thoughts to close. First, a report from The Guardian calculated to help every school teacher. The Department of Education and Science has sent a circular to every educational authority in the country instructing them how to make holes in walls so that they can hang pictures. A wall, the circular adds, is a rectangle with horizontal and vertical sides. <laughs> and finally, because some rather harsh things have been said about teachers in this program, let's hear something that's Almost complimentary. An epitaph on a schoolmaster by Robert Burns. Here lie Willie Mucker's beans, who's Satan when you crack him. Give him the schooling ear weans, for clever dells, he'll mack him. 
Next week, Alfred and I will be looking into the humour of public schools. Until then, goodbye. Please, sir, please, sir. All please, right, sir. Marks, but hurry up. Yes, sir. Remember the day.